Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. I have a very special guest uh, with me today, Michael Cohen. Uh, Michael was Trump's personal attorney. He uh, gave the goods on Trump. Uh, he wrote Disloyal, a best a New York Times bestselling book, and now he has a new New York Times bestselling book, Revenge. Uh, you're also a principal in Crisis X, which you explained is like a management consulting firm for how to deal with crisis stuff. But Michael, there's so much going on, and I want to start by just saying I wrote about you in The Cult of Trump as a former member, you know, one of my buds, because I really love whistleblowers and people who can stand up and go, you know what, I did the wrong thing. I believed and trusted the wrong people. And my life took a turn. And man, you were put in solitary. I want to get into how you were, uh, your First Amendment rights were, were impeded by the threats um, by the Attorney General Barr at the time, at the, at the behest probably at Trump. And the January 6th committee has now done a referral for criminal charges against Trump and four of the top officials. So with that, I want to take this wherever you want to go, my friend. You're a fountain of knowledge. Yeah. So, Doctor, let me let me stop you for two seconds there, because you've only just begun to touch on some of the cooperation that you'll recall from my House Oversight Committee. And a lot of people think that my House Oversight Committee hearing was a one and done. That's not true. I had done more than seven congressional hearings that were almost identical to this one. They just weren't public. They were all done in private, as they say, in the skiff. Um, I, did, <laughs> I did six others of those. I mean, it was, right. I think I may have testified more than anybody so far, you know, in history. But, you know, as Donald would say, I testified more than anybody, right? It's, quite frankly, there's nobody that's even come close. And it's, it's just, look, at the, as a result of, Many of those hearings, but we'll just stick with the House oversight. You sure. saw what just happened with the district attorney here in New York, um, originally started by Cyrus Vance Jr., now concluded uh, by Alvin Bragg. You know, they held the Trump organization accountable for 17 counts of tax fraud, which is part of what I had spoken about. Uh, right. There were several different Democrats who had asked those questions, including uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, right. You know, there were several individuals that asked about, you know, those financial topics. Uh, then, of course, there's the attorney general's case that's here also in New York, our unsinkable attorney general, uh, you know, Tish James. So there's been a lot that's been going on now on top of that. Let's not forget some of the other dynamic perils that, you know, um, Donald has. And that's uh, the Mar-a-Lardo uh, document <laughs> issue, right? Uh, and it's not just the fact that he refused to return these documents, but it appears that, and I was, once again, and I'm not trying to say I'm Nostradamus here, I just know the beast within the cage. Uh, I knew absolutely. that he was not going to turn over everything, and he probably hid stuff all over the place, which is why on August 31st, I had put out in a tweet mm -hmm. that I strongly suggest every place that Donald had been, mm -hmm. that each one of those places have to be examined and searched because that's what he does. He'll scatter it around, especially 
top secret information. And lo and behold, what do you find? You find that there are additional documents in a storage locker in West Palm Beach. I mean, let's talk about a secured location. Could <laughs> you imagine? Could, and inside that, you had like Mike Tyson's belt. You had Tom Brady's um, helmet. You had a whole bunch of paraphernalia that used to sit on Donald's couch at, you know, at Trump Tower. Mm. Could you imagine if hypothetically somebody forgot to make that payment? And like in a storage wars competition or something, they pop open the doors. People see all that paraphernalia. They start bidding on it. But what you end up with is not many tens of thousands of dollars for this paraphernalia, but you end up with top secret documents, which could potentially include sure. locations of nuclear silos. Yep. That's how little Donald thinks about this country. He doesn't yes. give a rat's ass about this country. He only cares about one thing. And doctor, you would know this better than I, right? Um, this is your field. He only cares about himself. He's a narcissistic sociopath, plain and simple. And if that yep. means he has to burn down this country because the country rebuked him in the second yep. election in the 2020 election he's willing to do it yeah exactly and uh like all cult leaders he wants power money and sex yes but yeah. the only difference between him and say a jim jones which is yeah, yeah people should remember you know where they drank the kool-aid um which, yeah, that's by the how way, i ended the cult of trump actually mm -hmm. michael uh, i said if he didn't win in 2020 i'm afraid there'll be violence remember jim jones when he was being held accountable by Congressman Leo Ryan. Sure, but we also have to remember, like Trump, he didn't serve Kool-Aid. What he served was flavor, um, you know, Flavor-Aid, which was a knockoff, uh, you know, much cheaper version than Kool-Aid. If you could imagine anything cheaper than, you know, colored sugar. But the only difference is um, Donald would charge for the flavor ice, you know, or the flavor, uh, whatever it's I, called. It's hard to make jokes about this. I know too many victims from the People's Temple. Michael Cohen, uh, you are one of the most famous former cult members in the world, if I may say. Uh, thank you for being public and going, yep, happened to me. Life goes on. Life's better than before. Uh, well, I don't, know about, I don't know about clear. that one. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Life is definitely not better than before. It's different. Um, I, I don't see. know if I would call it better. You know, there's a PTSD that many people, myself included, for sure, uh, that we suffer from as a direct result of the entire journey in this mm. experience. Uh, I mean, you know, 51 days of solitary confinement can do that to you. But it's yeah. even more than mm. just the solitary confinement. It's the entire totality of the circumstance, the injustice that exists. And one of the things I tried to do in my book, Revenge, which, you know, just to give you a little, uh, and I never expected that I would be a two-time New York Times bestselling author. Disloyal was number one at the New York Times bestsellers list for a month. And now I'm on my second book, which is called Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the United States Department of Justice Against His Critics. That book is now at number eight on the New York Times bestsellers list. I, I promise you my seventh, eighth grade uh, English teacher, Miss Astle, would be extremely proud of me. And I wish no, that she was absolutely. here. Absolutely. <laughs> I wish that I'm, she was I'm jealous. Here, you know? Good for you. It's, a, um, it's, an, it's an accomplishment. But I think more than um, the fact that 
as lawyers, you know, we tend to be able to write. Um, I think my prose worked out quite well, but I think it's really the story that sells mm -hmm. the book, not the book right. that sells the story. Right. And the point of revenge, a lot of people on my tweets, uh, on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all of my social media, my YouTube, many people are like, thank you so much for owning what you did. Thank you for coming out and telling us and teaching us about the evils of Donald Trump and the cult of Trumpism. Right. And what I tried to do in Revenge is show you, I went actually much farther than what most people know. People know only what the media did and what the media portrayed right. me as. And 90% of that are absolute lies. And I go, through the, I go through the book, which I call a forensic dissection of the most corrupt investigation and prosecution in U.S. history. And that was my case. And I mm. say that because, yes, the thing that I did, I was charged. I had nine counts against me. The first mm. five were tax evasion. Mm -hmm. The, sec the, the uh, sixth count was misrepresentation to a bank. Seven and eight was Karen McDougal on an NDA, a payment of $150,000. Eight is the payment that everybody is aware of, the Stormy Daniel payment for $130,000. And then the ninth was lying to Congress, a thousand and one violation. And if I could spend just a second, because Please. what I do in revenge, and through the help of Brian Karam, who is a journalist, because no one would speak to me. We speak mm. to judges through Brian. Uh, Brian spoke to FBI agents, current and former, speaks to prosecutors, lawyers, accountants, you know, many, many people, journalists. There was no tax evasion. And people are like, what? what are you talking about? Then why did you plead? And I'll explain. First of all, I've never not filed a tax return in my entire life. I've never been audited in my entire life. I've actually never even asked for an extension, I always filed on time. And mm -hmm. there was an, you know, the claim was that you, there's an um, $1.3 million that you did not pay taxes on over the five years, mm -hmm. 260000 a year. That's true. I don't dispute that. That was an error that was made by my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel, and I sued him. And interestingly enough, I lost on that case. Mm -hmm. And the judge's determination was because I pled guilty. Obviously, this judge who's in the same courthouse as Judge Jed Rakoff, who has an excellent book out there, which is called Why the Innocent Plead Guilty and the Guilty Go Free. It's an incredible, incredible book, and I recommend people to read it. Mm -hmm. People plead for multiple different reasons. I'll explain to you mine as soon as I finish just dissecting it. And we yeah. go through this entire scenario. Then the next one, misrepresentation to a bank on the HELOC. I had 80% equity in my home. I had more cash sitting in the bank than my mortgage and the HELOC combined. In fact, I have never missed a payment, not just to this bank, but to any bank that I had ever done business with in my entire life. I've just, mm. ne I've never been laid on a credit card payment. There was mm. no economic loss to any person or any institution ever, right? So you have the five I, by the way, going back for a quick second to the five counts, when you may recall um, Paul Manafort, 
was charged with tax evasion. But the reason he was charged with tax evasion, one of the elements that you need, and Lanny Davis went crazy when this was going out. He did a PowerPoint presentation. Anyone that would listen to, you know, to the story, Lanny was on television running, you know, running wild because my attorney at the time refused to allow me to do any television to represent myself and my side. Mm -hmm. In order, there are elements to have tax evasion. You have to hide the money. I never hid the money. Every single dollar that I had earned was by a check. No cash, no overseas bank accounts, no overseas nominees. You may recall there was that big incident at UBS when they had like billions of dollars that people were hiding. I never had a UBS. I've never had an overseas business nominee. There were no fake invoices like he did with that. I, I believe jacket. you. You okay. were set up, buddy. Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> it, 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 gets, it gets worse. Um, at best. And what it really was, was tax omission, something that happens hundreds of thousands of times a year by the IRS, if not millions. And I paid the $1.3 million before sentencing, which I still got no credit on. It's not, mm. I owed nobody any money. So again, there was no economic crime. The same thing with the HELOC. I had, you know, it's a home equity line of credit. It's a line of credit based on your home's equity. I had 80% equity. It was 10 times the amount of what the HELOC mm. was, but mm. didn't make a difference. Now, let me just go then to the next one of Karen McDougal. I never paid Karen McDougal. And if you Google it, you'll see, oh, you know, Michael Cohen's responsible for the payoff of two of Donald Trump's trysts, the porn star Stormy Daniels and the Playboy playmate Karen McDougal. It's just not true. And again, I go into this with people who were involved in the investigation where mm -hmm. one FBI agent turned around and said, I had known weeks before that you were going to be remanded. We had heard that that was being worked on in Washington. The story is insane. I did not pay Karen McDougal. In fact, David Pecker did AMI and the National Enquirer. And all you have to do is Google it and you'll see he acknowledged Alan Weisselberg on the Stormy Daniels matter lies to the Southern District of New York. And not only does he lie to them, they know he's lying, but it didn't matter. They then used that lie and they took it to a grand jury to get the indictments on me. Now, I did pay Stormy Daniels, but I want people also to understand. I did an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, and I took my money, right? Not borrowed money, not like Donald wanted in that you know, recording that was released by Chris Cuomo on CNN. Not cash, but by mm. check. And, I mm. and it was wired from my bank account to another bank. In Beverly Hills, California, to an attorney's IOLTA account. This mm -hmm. is the big hiding that Judge William H. Pauley III, you know, that this is the big, the big hide. This is the big, the, the big problem of Michael Cohen. And now we get to the final one, the lying to Congress. Lying to Congress was, do you remember what my lie was? I think you lied about doing a hotel in Russia. No, so... It, well, it had to do with the... Forgive my, right. my lack well, see, this of perfect is, this memory. This is the problem. It's, there was so much misinformation and disinformation uh -huh. that was being thrown out, and that was coming from the White House because their goal was to discredit me in the event that I did cooperate and provide sure. testimony and information to destroy my credibility. Sure. I lied to Congress about the number of times I spoke to Donald about a failed real estate project that was to be known as the Trump Tower in Moscow, all right? 
I told Congress that I spoke to him three times. The truth, I spoke to him 10 times. That's my big lie that I had to plead guilty to. Could you yeah. imagine three so to stupid. 10? Of course it's stupid. Could you imagine if I went to prison in part over that lie? Could you imagine what our members of Congress or Donald who lied to the American people 35,000 plus times? He would be doing 82 billion years. I mean, you know, we'd be colonized <laughs> and, and on bigger Mars. lies yeah. and, and more important correct. lies than, than that. a failed this was, real estate project. It's so clear. I honestly, Michael, I think the general public, despite the media disinformation, they know that you were set up because you ratted. Well, well <laughs> so, let you me, were so let me say this. Disloyal. Let me say this. Right. Because I get a lot of people on my Twitter account. They're like, oh, you're a rat. First of all, let me be very clear, Doc. I never ratted. Mm -hmm. I provided testimony. I corroborated other people's testimony. I was subpoenaed to come in and to testify. Right. And the interesting thing is going back, it was around March when I got the very first request to come in and to speak. It was either mm -hmm. the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence or the Senate Select um, Permanent Committee on uh, Intelligence. It was one of the two. And I went to Jay Sekulow. And I said to him, do I have to do this? He said, it's like a bar mitzvah invitation. You don't have to go. It's a request. It's an invitation. And mm -hmm. so I went into the White House. I saw Donald in the Oval Office. And he said to me, you know, do it. Cooperate. He goes, you know, I want you to. Because, Michael, there was no Russia. There's no collusion. There's nothing. There's just nothing there. Right? Basically, it still what bugs he's doing, me he's, to hear even your version of Trump's voice. You see, he's what so he was disgusting. doing there, Doc, is he was guiding me like a mob boss would guide you. This is right. what I want you to say. There was no collusion. This, this stay on message was really the point. And right. ultimately, when I started realizing that the White House was leaking documents and information about me and all of this came out of the White House's press people and so on. That's when I turned around and I said to George Stephanopoulos, I will never allow history to remember me as the villain of Donald's story. Mm -hmm. And my loyalty, my first loyalty, belongs to my wife, my daughter, my son, and my country. And I stood up for that. So I want people, right. at least who are following you, Doc, and I yep. say it all the time, I want them to understand. I went much farther than what people, that people understand. My true one crime here, all right. By the way, let me just go back for 10 seconds back to this whole scenario with the lie to Congress. I'm not the only one that worked on that statement. It was worked mm. on Jay, by Jay Sekulow, who was Donald's attorney at the time, by Ty Cobb, by Abby Lowell, who was representing Ivanka and Jared. They chimed in as well. There were a multitude of people involved in drafting that because they wanted everyone to stay on message. And I'm the right. only one that gets charged. I mean, I just don't get it. Three to 10. So I want your followers and your listeners to fully understand my true one crime here, if there is one, is really the Stormy Daniels payment, the campaign finance violation. And that I did do. But remember what I said when I was at sentencing. I did it at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Right. I didn't sleep with Stormy Daniels. He did. Right. And it happened years before I was even working for Donald. I just came in to do a non-disclosure agreement to purchase the life rights to the story so that nobody could discuss it. 
This is right. some of the things that, these are things that are done every single day. There are life rights. You know, interestingly enough, Ben Stiller tried to buy my life rights for this story, for the story of disloyal. And I know Ben, he's a great guy. He's funny as hell, right? Mm -hmm. And he's an incredible director, producer, incredible. Right. He wanted to do disloyal. He wanted to buy the life rights. So could you imagine if hypothetically I sold him the life rights and next thing you know, they got him in handcuffs, you know, mm. take, taking him away? Hmm. The whole thing is, the whole thing is just bullshit. But don't, and it's don't you have a life. lawsuit now to against the DOJ bar? Like, talk a little bit more about what uh, what what's cooking right. from you. So, I end up getting <laughs> thirty six months. I I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I and oh, let me just say this to you also. I didn't write my allocution. That was written by Tom McKay and Nicholas Roos. Uh, there are two prosecutors over at the um, Southern District of New York. They wrote mm. the allocution. I was directed how to read it and how to answer to Judge Pauly. Right? Mm. And I was given 48 hours from a Friday at 5.30 p.m. to Monday that if I didn't do as they said, they were filing an 80-page indictment and it was going to include my wife. And just so that people understand, my wife is the sweetest, most innocent person. Where they were going to get her is a as a co-conspirator to the hush money payment because we filed joint tax returns and because the repayment money, the thirty-five thousand a month that I was receiving, which was a repayment from Trump to me for the money that I outlaid, was placed into her bank account at Capital One Bank. And the mm -hmm. reason that that was done is because I was hit by a um, a group of um, uh, what, what do you call them? Uh, these um, identity thieves. And one huh. guy had a New York State valid driver's license with my information on it and his picture. And he was running around Capital One banks and taking out you know, money from, from my bank accounts. So we locked all my bank accounts down. And when these checks would come in, because there was an entire investigation over I went to the police. Oh, I filed boy. a report. <laughs> Could you imagine so that you've now been they're through. going to go after my wife for as a co-conspirator? Well, they were the squeezing you. There's no way in the world. At the time I was married to for 20, you know, 24 years. Now we're, you know, now we're 28. Um, we're going on 28. Um, there was no way I was going to allow them to embarrass her, perp walk her in front of the press, you know, with her hands behind her back, run her through the process. And I promise you, these bastards would do exactly to her what I saw them do to other wives of guys that I was with in Otisville. They put mm. them in Danbury for six months to a year. And I mm. scratch my head and I say, what the hell did they have to do with anything? Right? right? It doesn't matter. The system is built and it's rigged against people so that they can force you to plead. And the reason right. that they force you to plead is that mm. if you don't, if everybody who's charged ends up fighting in the court system, you would shut the entire system down. And that's where Judge Jed Rakoff, you know, comes in and he says there needs to be independent third party judges because the system is rigged. Prosecutors see and speak every single day to the same judges and the judges right. don't give a shit because they're federal judges. They have their they have tenure for life. You cannot yeah. get rid of them. And so whether they do right or they do wrong, it doesn't make a difference. They're not elected. You know, they're appointed. Yeah, the system's and they're appointed. broken, clearly. Broken is right.
And my promise, because as I said to you, you know, I, I suffer. And mm. like parents or individuals who are victims of, of situations, you want to become an advocate for what hurts you and what right. is hurting you. And I had said many, many times, I intend to become an advocate for prison reform and for justice reform. So yes, I brought a lawsuit against the United States of America, the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Prisons, Donald, Bill Barr, and a multitude of other people. And that mm -hmm. lawsuit was predicated, you know, one of the other things you didn't put in your opening introduction to me is, you're now speaking with the first and only political prisoner held by the United States of America, my country of origin, my only passport, despite what some people may say, against a U.S. citizen because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. So while I had gotten out on COVID, based upon my comorbidities, um, they released me and people were like, oh my God, really? Yeah, what comorbidities do you have? When I was 39, I blew a series of pulmonary embolists and I was, I was, yeah, I was about 48 hours from death. Uh, it That's was very, serious. very bad. Um, you know, I, it, it took me years to be able to regain the ability to breathe. Um, it was very, very hard. And if you get COVID, especially the original COVID-19, sure. uh, it was a death sentence. So yep. they got me home. I did 18 months of home confinement. But when I was released, you're released on furlough. And basically, mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want. You're on furlough. Just look up what the word means. It's right. You know, you're there on your own. There are things you can't do. But for the most part, you're free to wander around, do as you want until you get picked up by the system. They put the ankle monitor and then you do your home confinement. Yeah, but okay. didn't you develop one of the top podcasts on the planet? The answer is, culpa? well, yes, we're going to get to that in two seconds. Uh, okay. But what ended up happening here for, based upon my lawsuit when I was on furlough, I got my date for, and this is discussed at length because this is the most heinous thing that anyone could ever imagine. I was told to go to the Bronx to a group called GEO that does all of the monitoring for the Bureau of Prisons when it comes mm -hmm. to home confinement. Mm -hmm. And this wonderful guy shows up to my home and he wants to check it out to make sure that it's my home and that you know, everything is copacetic, which it was. And I was supposed to go to him two days later for the placement of the ankle monitor. But the next day, I get a phone call from, five, uh, from 500 Pearl Street, the southern, the, you know, the federal court building, from mm -hmm. a guy named Adam Pakula. And, you know, he has me on FaceTime and he, I walk him around and he says to me, you're not going to Geo uh, the day after. You're coming to us over here at 500 Pearl. And I said, why? I said, the man was already here. He checked out the place. You know, um, everybody that I know that's on the home, that's going for home confinement has gotten their ankle monitor there. So he said, well, every now and then we pull, you know, a file out just to monitor ourselves. I said, you know, I'm not buying that, right? Okay. I speak to the guy from GEO. He says, in 39 years that he has been working at GEO, he has never, ever had this happened to him or heard of something like this happening before. So that's when I called my buddy, Jeff Levine. He's a friend of mine since elementary school. He's a lawyer here in the city. He comes down with me. We go there. I get a two-page document from Adam Pakula and a woman by the name of Enid Phoebus, who's since hmm. retired and moved down to Florida. Hmm. 
that was his supervisor there uh, at 500 Pearl. And they give me this two-page document that looks like it just came out of the word, you know, uh, out of the printer. It was like a word-perfect type of document. And anybody that has dealt with government knows that these documents all have identification numbers on them, like the F-104A, you know, form or something like that. This had no numbers onto it. Not only that, if you ever look at those documents, they're photocopied 10,000 times since like the 1960s, so you could barely <laughs> even read it. They're really, it's, they should, somebody should redo those forms, but they don't because that's government. You know, government is lazy and they just, mm. not these, these just were fresh off. So I said, wow, I said, I never saw a government document look like this. I said, you know, and then we read the first one. And the first paragraph, and you could Google it and look at it if any of your listeners are interested, it prohibited me from writing a book, which I had now had disloyal done, and it was already with the publisher, do a movie, speak to the press, speak to media. My family couldn't speak to press. They couldn't do a movie. Neither could my friends. It was the most overbroad violation of the First Amendment that you could possibly imagine. Well, Jeff and I. What happened almost, to all the free speech advocates yeah. out there in the GOP? Well, th yeah, that's for sure. Well, they, they disappeared. Yeah. Suffice it to say, both Jeff and I turned and said, listen, you know, the language here is extremely overbroad. And I said, my book is already with the publisher, right? It's already out there for printing. I can't sign this. I'll be in violation the second I sign it. I was like, can we tamp down the language a little? Oh, sure. Let's just go through two through nine. And while they were very restrictive, I said, I don't care. I don't care. I'm willing to do it. So then they asked us to step outside while they reach out to their superiors. And we're sitting outside, sitting outside. My son is waiting for me with the car in front of the courthouse to take me back where they were going to put the ankle monitor on. Lo and behold, about an hour later, three marshals are standing over us handcuffs and shackles, like I'm Hannibal fucking Lecter. Three, with handcuffs and shackles. I don't know if you've ever felt shackles. They weigh like 30 no. pounds. They're heavy, right? Mr. Cohen, stand up and face the wall. Well, you can imagine, my face turned white. My buddy Jeff, you know, his face turned even paler than mine. And I was like, you know, what the hell's going on here? And Pakula comes out with Phoebus and they're smiling and shit. Like they just, you know, nailed Hannibal Lecter. They just nailed you know, um, the son of Sam, right? They had this big, gigantic glee on their face. You know, it was horrible. So my lawsuit is against all of these individuals um, from MCC's Patrick McFarland, who signed the remand order to everybody all the way up and down. Do you know, I tried to get the documentation from FOIA on this because FOIA is, you know, it's our right. Freedom, to have the Freedom of Information, Information Act. Act suit, right? Sure. Go. So I go ahead and we file under that. They come back and they say, and I talk about this again in Revenge. That's why I say Revenge is the single most important book. If you're going to read anything for your holiday, read this book because it's really the blueprint that Trump and Barr set up in order to take away people's First Amendment constitutional rights, because that's half the battle to becoming an autocracy. First, you take away people's First Amendment rights. So all they read is state, right? State yeah, um, information, information control, which is yep. exactly like what Kim Jong-un does in Putin and Mohammed Correct. bin Salman. All right. The second thing is you take over the military or you create your own military. 
But what do you think January 6th was? It was a paramilitary Trump organization or Trump group with MAGA hats and shirts and flags and Trump 2020. That became his paramilitary group. So anyone that thinks that they don't now have the playbook, I dissect it and show you what you need to be careful for the next Donald Trump 2.0 that could come in that's actually smarter than Donald, because they all are, and more ruthless, which is not that easy, but I'm sure many people say that, you know, Ron DeSantis is. And then they now have the playbook. They have the play what failed. So maybe you make a couple of tweaks like a football coach would do in order to make a successful play. That's why I'm now suing all of them. That case, interestingly enough, because of the overturn, not just of Roe v. Wade by this very, very interesting Supreme Court that we now have to contend with. Federal Society Supreme Court of right-wing Catholics. Yep. They also, these these, these theocracy-driven judges, they also overturned the Bivens case, which was the way that was the precedented case on how you bring an action against the government if they violate your constitutional rights. They They overturned it. I didn't know this. Yes, they overturned it. And that's what the judge in my specific case, Judge Lyman, wrote. You know, what they did to you was disgraceful and improper, right, under constitutional law and so on. He goes, but my hands are tied. Now, he gave possibly the greatest um, decision that one could have as you're going for an appeal because he even acknowledged Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein a, you know, a federal court judge here in New York, who was mm-hmm. the judge that Donya, Terry, uh, Donya Perry filed the habeas motion in order to have me removed from Otisville the second time when they unconstitutionally remanded me. So hmm. while it's a little bit complicated and um, specific, if you read the book, it breaks it down even with more specificity. So we are filing an appeal, and we truly believe that we're going to win. It's interesting because in that Bivens case, Judge Clarence Thomas writes on that Bivens cannot be expanded, that it should go to Congress the same way that you know the uh, Roe v. Wade, it's, it's a state's decision. Not, it should not be a federal, which makes no sense to me. But Thomas's answer, his decision, has in it, unless it's of the most unusual of circumstances. Well, I ask your listeners and I ask you, please name for me a more unusual circumstance than the president of the United States weaponizing the Justice Department through a willing and complicit piece of shit attorney general, and I'm referring to Bill Barr, all right, to remand a U.S. citizen back to prison because right. he refused to waive his First Amendment constitutional rights. I'm not sure what country that one could say that that would fall under. Isn't it somewhat similar, or if not even worse, than what Russia just did to Brittany Griner, right? Yep. Where, or, or to, to Whalen, or to any of these other you know, prisoners that are being yeah. held, American citizens being held by a foreign country for yeah. obviously political reasons? So... That's where we are with that. It's so egregious. But while he was trying to use an example 
to keep people in line to me and my followers, mm -hmm. you're the example of the big third finger. I'm not going quietly, dude. Exactly. You know? That. I mean, that's what it was. It was to tell everybody, you want to play with me? This is what's going to ha this is what's going to happen to you. I'm the man in charge and you are not. And I could eat. I'm so in charge that I could even go as far as violating your constitutional right. And he doesn't care about the Constitution. You heard just a he week doesn't. or so ago said that we should tear up the Constitution. Joe Biden should be removed as the president and he should be installed. Right. I mean, that's yeah, the Mooney playbook, actually. It sure when is. 1974, Moon said that the sure democracy was satanic and we need to change the Constitution, make it a capital offense for people to do things against the orders of the Unification and Doc, Church. Yet here I am still standing, still fighting, and still the reason that there's about nine different pending legal matters, if not more, against Trump the Trump Organization, and others. You know, interestingly enough, I've received absolutely zero credit from government. Zero. Oh, I was telling you about the FOIA request. So I want to get those documents so that I can use it in my lawsuit. And as I filed the FOIA request, I received back um, a response about three months later or so that says that we did a search based upon the parameters of your FOIA request, and there are no documents. Yeah, I heard you on your podcast <laughs> say that. And then how many documents did they actually so I, have? I tur we turned it over to Mark Zaid, who is a well-known attorney, and he does it for everybody. Um, he's a very famous attorney for this uh, specific area. Over 460,000 documents. So <laughs> we went from zero to 460,000. They were required to turn over to me 500 documents a month starting August, just so you understand, zero has been turned over. And wow. what, they, what they sent on the 24th of August, which was, it was supposed to be received the August 23rd, what they sent on the 24th is a letter stating that after reviewing the documents, it appears that there's information that would compromise another federal agency. And so we have to send it to them for their redactions Ultimately, I will get 480,000 plus black pages, maybe oh. words that say, and the Michael Cohen, Trump, and the, or because, right. and that'll be it. And that we're just going to, we're just going being that we haven't received anything, we now have a case coming up in January. It's a status um, conference on it where we've now requested that it be in person, uh, an oral um, argument before the judge because government has failed to comply. And right. here's the funny thing. Government feels that they don't have to. They will hmm. always protect themselves, regardless of Republican, Democrat, Independent, because that's what government does. This whole process needs to change so that you, that I, your listeners, that this country finally believes that justice is blind, as we know, Lady Justice wears a mask, that justice is equal for everyone, and that your own country will not violate your constitutional rights. <laughs> and Yeah, that's the aspiration, to, right? right? That's, that's what we grew up believing, that America was the land of the just and the home of the brave. And what? And if we don't do us? this, Doc, if we don't do this, 
to your viewers and so on who watch shows like The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. We're not that far away. Now, I have a daughter. I have a son. I hope, God willing, one day, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I want to see, you know, my family and everybody else's family for a thousands, you know, till, till the end of Earth. I want right. to see them live with the same democracy, with the same rights, and even more rights than more rights. what we grew up with. Interestingly enough, if you look right now and you think about your rights, my daughter, who's 27, has less rights than my mother, than her yeah. grandmother. Yeah. You know, it's because backwards. of the overturning it's... of Roe. It's scary. And yep. remember, when they take away a con to get one of these rights, we saw how hard people fought. Look at the way they fought for, for gay rights, for yep. now transgender rights, or for same sex. You know, thank goodness that the Supreme Court knew that they they knew that if they went ahead and they did the Obergefell case the way they did Roe, that there would be a massive uprising in this country. Yep. And so they were willing to but you know, push it off and allow states to make certain, you know, decisions on to it's a nightmare, no matter how you want to describe it. Okay. So I don't want to leave my listeners on a total, uh, fear, uh, downer thing. Uh, I want to hear, cause you, you're, you're plugged in in a way that very few people are about the special prosecutor about, like what hap what what do you predict will happen? And I want to get into bots and Twitter sure. and Musk and you know your if take I could on just say something because I don't want to leave your listeners feeling doom and gloom, but I do want to say doom and gloom is at our doorsteps. And thank God to every single one of you who went out there and voted, which is why we were successful in keeping the Senate. Would have been nice had we been able to keep the House as well. But there was no red wave. And what it ultimately did is it showed that Donald does not have the sway. He does not have the power to put somebody like a Herschel Walker, right? Oh Great football goodness. player, but a halfwit, right? To put someone like a Herschel Walker against a Raphael Warnock. And still, how many, what do you get, like 1.9 million Very people close. voted for him? This is Dangerous. not a joke. So I don't want to be a doom and gloom guy, but if we don't get control, over what's going on and being successful and putting proper people to represent us, what do you think is going to happen? And that's where yeah. the doom and gloom sets in. So well, I, I apologize, I, Doc. You go back. No, no, no. Don't apologize. But I, I just saw Michael Moore listed all of the collaborators with the uh, not standing up against the uh, uh, insurrection coup attempt, and he said, "I want people to read every name." And these are the people who are going to be in our government. And while we're few... reading the names of those people, let's read the names of the people who were killed, whether it's Uvalde, Sandy Hook, or any of these tragedies. Right. Read their names the next time that you start listening to the GOP right. talking about gun control. Yeah, I put the NRA actually in the cult of Trump, five million strong at the time. Mm -hmm. And I know you're a gun owner. I'm a gun owner. Where for you were as a felon? I'm not allowed yeah, to own a I firearm. See. Could you imagine? Uh, there was no violence. You're talking about you know a felon from uh, a lie on everything we <laughs> talked about, or taxes that I paid everything, no, including so... the ridiculous penalties and interest that more than quadrupled the amount of the of the fine. Just it's un I'm... it's unfair. Well. 
listen to mea culpa by revenge. Oh, you know, I apologize. Let's, I apologize. I, I walked over one of your questions too. So ah, while I please. was in home confinement, I was as bored as can be. And I needed an outlet. I needed a way to ensure that people like your listeners, um, mm. that the American people could hear the truth about Donald Trump, the cult of Trumpism, and so on. And so I came up with this concept of mea culpa, right? My responsibility. But I really came up with the name, not for my responsibility, but it's my initials, MC. And, you know, that's really where it came from. <laughs> and um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it became a hit podcast. Uh, it has remained since day number one, uh, a top Apple news podcast, which is insane. Uh, I mean, I'm up there with every single person you see on television and beating them. And we've done over 64 million downloads since I started. It's really, it's an well, incredible journey. Well, you have journey. great guests and you have a unique experience and perspective and you ask really good questions. So you deserve it. Yes, and it. I was thankful to have you on it, which I was going to have you back as well. So I apologize, Doc. Please go ahead. So let's your, go, what was your but let's go forward to just opine about what you see in the future. And we know it could go well and Trump could be arrested and charged and convicted. And other things could happen. And then I want to get into the whole sure. information wars, Twitter and Musk and TikTok, because we were talking a little bit before we started about some of your experiences. So there's a multitude of litigation now pending against Donald Trump, including, as I stated before, the attorney general's case. That's happening. That case is going to trial. It doesn't just include Donald, but it includes Ivanka, Don Jr., Eric as well, as well as I think some other people. Then there's also a lot of rumbling that the district attorney here in New York, Alvin Bragg, as a result of the case, is now going to or is considering, and this has been reported, uh, he's considering bringing charges against Trump for campaign violation, finance violations. Those are those. I believe what you're referring to are the additional ones, like what we have in Georgia now with Fannie Willis. Um, right. That's another case against Trump. Then, of course, you have the two cases, the Mar-a-Lardo case, as well as the um, January 6th case that Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is looking at. Now, we could talk about all the other multitude of cases that are still out there, like the E. Jean Carroll case and so many others. Yeah, the rape cases, whatever right. happened to those? Don't, those don't, were put don't on hold. Know. Don't, don't know. But hmm. what I will tell you, I believe that based upon where the cases are at and based upon the evidence and the simplicity of the case, I believe that the Jack Smith case against Donald Trump for the documents is the easiest to prosecute because there is no defense for it. Donald right. himself stupidly went out and stated, they're mine, and I, I took I, them, I saw, I saw and I that. want them back. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. All right. There's nothing more to say here. They're not yours. They belong to the American people, and they belong in the custody of NARA, the National Archives. Okay. And period. End of story. You were given a year over a year and a half ago. He was given an opportunity to return them. He returned some messed up this attorney, Christina Hobb, who could end up getting indicted herself for filing a false document with government. But that document right. was falsely filed 
based upon like what happened to me at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. She was told mm -hmm. by Boris Epstein and another uh, attorney there, Donald wants you to sign this. He returned everything. I believe mm -hmm. she has the right to rely upon her client's statement. That would be very good testimony as well. He took them. He hid them. He was given an opportunity. There's an insider there. And you may have heard uh -huh. me say, I believe that it's Ivanka and Jared who are the inside moles. Because I've only say that, inside yeah. family would know where your safe is, your rooms are, what's inside of them. It's not as if the, you know, the cleaning crew knew what the documents were. Then they raid. He starts yelling and mine. I want him back. I took him, yada, yada. Next thing, they turn around and they return additional documents, which are in that storage facility. I believe that this is a slam dunk. I believe that had Alvin Bragg followed the mm -hmm. um, belief of Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn and indicted Donald personally on mm -hmm. tax violations and all sorts of money laundering, wire, bank fraud, wire fraud, et cetera. Right. I believe that Donald would already be um, not just indicted, but I believe he would have been prosecuted the same mm. way that they prosecuted Alan Weisselberg, the CFO of the Trump Organization. Right. So let's switch gears. Information wars. We are on both on Twitter. I read you, <laughs> and and uh, uh, I've gone down a few thousand followers. You were saying you go down thousands, tens of thousands, and up. And yeah. we're talking about bots. Yeah. So talk to us, please. So about ten days ago on Twitter, there was a live forum that featured um, a guy named Dot Com and Farwaz. They were the two moderators with mm -hmm. Elon Musk. And it was live, and there were like a million people plus that were on the stream, the conversation. There were 10 speakers, people who asked questions, and everybody else were listeners. I was fortunate enough to be one of those 10 speakers. And I mm. asked Elon, who I then applauded him for wanting First Amendment free speech, because I believe... You have to have First Amendment free speech. I don't believe in, you know, foreign misinformation, disinformation or malinformation. So I think people misunderstood my point. Right. But I asked Elon directly, one of the biggest problems that I see on Twitter are bots and bot farms. And you know that they're bots and bot farms because... They don't have a photo of somebody, or if they do, it's somebody else, or it's, let's say, Donald in a Superman outfit, or it's um, Donald, right. you know, um, on the toilet because you hate him, whatever it might be. And the person has been a member since 2013 or 2011 or 2020, and they have zero followers, 10 followers, 20 followers. All right. Mm. I promise you, they're not real. And what they do is they, they have the ability to change the conversation and steer it back to that misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. So I asked Elon, what are you going to do in order to combat this? Because if your goal is to have a legitimate platform where, and I don't care, Republican, Democrat, I don't care if you like what I say or you don't like what I say. I want it to be honest and truthful, and it has to be legitimate. Right. And he said that, you know, that's a great it's a great question. And it's something that we're actually working on right now. He's spoken to his IT people. 
you know, then I brought up about the foreign bot farms. How do you stop them from doing this? So let's say, as an example, like with me, I put out a, on my Twitter account, I did it on also on TikTok, and um, I put the same video out there where I talk about the uh, <laughs> indictments are coming, the indictments are coming, kind of like a Paul Revere cry. <laughs> and I got swarmed by several thousand bots all saying the same thing. You're a felon. Shouldn't you be in prison? You know, butt hurt. You're an asshole, et cetera. And it goes on. Like this one woman, her name is Grace Jacobs. So I look it up. And of course, it's a picture of a flower. Zero followers, but she's been uh, a member since 2013. This is the problem. And then I said to him, how about this as a possibility to go back to your IT folks? Why don't you do some sort of a two-party authentication the same way that others do? It has to be attached to, for example, your cell phone or to one email address. And it can't be a fake email address, which is what these algorithms are producing, why right. these bot farms have millions and millions of followers. Right. So many times you see somebody and they have 3 million followers. Yeah, that's because 2.95 million of them are not legitimate. But right. when they put it out there, they let them know. And then as soon as they put it out there, all of a sudden it becomes a massive following. People see the activity and then they want to be a part of the activity, especially if you agree with the point of view of the person who put out the tweet. And so he liked the idea of the two-party authentication because that would limit these farms from being able to constantly open up these accounts. And my account goes up and down by 10,000 followers almost on a daily basis. And it's just impossible. And I'm watching them knocking bots off as new bots are coming back on. And it's just very, it's very disenchanting. Now, we have the same issue, for example, with TikTok. I'll put up a video. There's a whole slew of people. And again, I don't know if they're legitimate or they're bots. But what ends up happening is they then report as being abusive or something like that. And TikTok, through the algorithm, goes ahead and then they shut down the video until you appeal it. And then finally, like 24, 30 hours later, they're like, it's not abusive. It's factual. It's predicated on the New York Times, the LA Times, Washington Post, Wall Street right. Journal, uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, N you know, CNN, whatever, MSNBC. And then they put it back up. But then you missed, you missed your window because it's right. not relevant anymore. Everybody else has talked about it. Yeah, and so it's information it, warfare. It's exactly. a way of, of taking it out of the public consciousness. And it's a version of the Hollywood, you know, uh, tapes of grabbing women, and all of a sudden, WikiLeaks dumps the 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 emails to divert everyone's attention for what should have disqualified Donald Trump. And you know, Donald knew about that too, right? I talked about that in my yeah, first book, Roger Stone, wasn't it? I was it's sitting in Donald's office. Roger yeah. called. Rona yelled out, "Mr. Trump, Roger on line one." He picks it up, but he never picks up the phone. He always had a speaker box. And Roger said, yeah. I just spoke to Julian Assange. You know, I'm telling you, in the next couple of days, there's going to be a massive dump of emails that's going to destroy Hillary and so on. And then it turned out to be the Podesta emails. I didn't realize what he was talking about because obviously he didn't know what they were either, and neither did Donald, but he knew there was going to be a massive dump from Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and obviously said yeah. nothing, did nothing, and was ecstatic when it happened. Yeah, I think Stone and Bannon need their own uh, coming to God moment with the justice Never going to happen with either of them.
Uh, that's disappointing for sure. Um, so what else do I wanted to ask you? So I, I did want to just quickly comment. The first time Donald came into my mind as an actual contender in 2016 was when he did his total Muslim ban thing. I wrote a, a, a blog post in the Huffington Post, uh, Trump, ISIS's greatest recruiter, hmm. you know, <laughs> and, 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 and I had 200 really terrible, com you know, people commenting on my thing, attacking me, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know they were going to, they were bots until years later, how fast I was swarmed <laughs> and, and and I came to understand when I was recruiting ICE, uh, when I was involved with investigating ISIS recruitment online, I came to understand more about information warfare and psychological warfare and, and how, you know, swarming was the equivalent to love bombing in person right. when I was in the moon cult, <laughs> except you believe they're real, but they're not real. But the brain gets tricked into thinking there's a lot of people against me when they're not real. Yeah, and that's why your book is, is also so relevant and so important. You know, until you get hit with what I do sadly believe is coming, and that's authoritarianism by the GOP with candidates, until you're mm. involved in that system, you don't realize how to combat it. And my hope is that by reading these books, by informing yourself, by being part of like my mea culpa movement, by being, you know, in tune with, you know, Doc, your, you know, your podcast here, uh, Midas Touch, Lincoln Project, Justice Matters, and so on, you'll get a better understanding of who you're dealing with so that you can ensure that they never see the light of day as a member of Congress, that they never have an office in the people's house because they're not interested in the people, like a Marjorie Taylor Greene. I scratch right. my head every single day and I wonder, how does, a, how does an asshole like Marjorie Taylor Greene ever become a member of Congress? How is it possible that Ted Cruz continues to be reelected when his own state was in peril and he decides to run off to Cancun. If that's not a kick in your ass and saying to you, right. listen to what we're saying, get up and get active, get angry. And I'm not saying get angry like the MAGA mob, uh, the MAGA mob right. that you're going to start going out with bear spray and, and zip ties and baseball bats and guns. No, to the contrary, your fingers, let your fingers win this war. Right. You know, there's the old expression that the pen is mightier than the sword. In this case, it is your vote matters. And it's not just your vote. Grab your next door neighbor. Grab your kid if they're of age. Grab your your mom, your dad, your cousin, your brother, whoever it might be. And take them and take them to vote and explain to them that what you're doing is you're voting for the future. You're voting for democracy because this man doesn't care about democracy. This exactly. man doesn't care about America and our future. All they care about is themselves. And, and they want to it, destroy America's prestige and power and the power of the U.S. dollar. They want to try to cave, yep. cave in our, our government. I wanted to you know, say you know, yes. Can I, just, can I just say one last thing sure, on that? Sure, of course. Something that 
everybody has to take heed of. Remember, if you have a strong America, you'll have a strong world. Right. And we've seen if you have a weak America, you have a weak world. Right now, America is weak. We're building simply because of some of the things that President Biden and Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, are doing. And, yep. you know, and the fact a that- A lot we of were, good people. Yeah, are, there, are are really some good, there are some good people. I love the work of the January 6th committee, frankly. On both sides. But, I, but yeah. my point is, we need to be stronger and we need to keep growing. Because as we grow and become stronger, the world watches and the world emulates. And right. that's why when you start to see now Russia cozying up with Belarus and you see the relationship between the two, it better be terrifying to you. And if it's not, my oh, Russia is influencing Netanyahu and Israel. And China. Uh, and China and, also. And now Iran, Iran. And North Korea. North Korea, right? So well, we, we understand it's authoritarians who are malignant narcissists against the rest of us who believe in human rights and rule of law and democratic institutions and, and science. And I really do want to energize people, not the opposite of like tune out and do video games and not just wait till the 2024 presidential election. Get involved locally, educate yourself and others about civics, like mm -hmm. that whole topic of how does the government run. Boy, um, have we heard ourselves, Doc. For example, yep. you have somebody like Jim Jordan. We all know what the history is with the turning a blind eye to the sexual predator uh, at the Ohio wrestling team. But nevertheless, he ends up becoming a member of Congress. Now it looks like he's going to take over the, as the majority leader. Does hmm. anybody not worry about what Jim Jordan intends to do on day number one? Forgetting about filing articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, most probably Kamala Harris, but they're also going to file against Dr. Fauci, claiming that Dr. Fauci, I mean, this is to all of us who are still here today as a direct result of the benefits of the vaccination. Yeah. This is the man that you want to put in, a guy who spent 50 years protecting America's health, and now and you want world. to go after him? Yeah. Yeah. This is what no, you're going to see. You're going to see it's a goddamn clown show coming out. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but 1987 and 1988, I worked in Congress when I was still a student. I was a junior and then a senior mm -hmm. at American University in Washington, D.C. Uh, uh -huh. I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley, who um, mm -hmm. was an amazing, amaz amazing man, a congressman out of Massachusetts. And um, I, I worked there. And walking through that building, if you've never done it, I certainly recommend uh, that you do because you immediately fall in love with the house. First of all, it's your house. It is like the most amazing museum that you could mm. see. And when I watched the January 6th insurrectionists, mm. not the visitors as Donald and others want to tell you that were there in an orderly fashion, when I watched them marching through the people's house, smearing feces on art and breaking some of those... Um, those sculptures, things that had been there for, you know, 
over 200 years. That's our house. Right. And it would be almost like, you know, the same insurrectionist ringing your doorbell, right, and running through your house on your white carpet with dog shit on the bottom of their shoes. It's insulting yeah. and it's disgraceful. Yeah. And it should yeah. never, ever happen. Yeah, it certainly should never happen again. Michael Cohen, I'm going to just thank you for everything that you've been doing and and continued success. And we need to figure a proactive plan to restore democracy and not just be reactive. So I'm very interested in your crisis management thoughts, not on this particular thing as we're wrapping up. But we really need to get a lot of smart people together who understand what's actually happening. Right. And so let me, can I just say one last thing in conclusion? Of course. This, so crisis management is not, it's not necessarily political. Think about what I had done for Donald all of those years in terms of dealing with the press, also strategy in terms of litigation. You know, a lot of people say, mm -hmm. oh my God, you broke the law thousands of times on behalf of Donald. That's not true. We were very litigious. But that's what mm -hmm. lawyers do. And obviously, as a direct result of all of this, my, my abilities are even greater in terms of using the press in order to act as a, we'll call it a companion to your litigation, because it's not just mm. the court of law, but it's also the court of public opinion. Right. And, you know, like I was telling you, I have friends, that, oh, my son, you know, just got a DUI. Yeah, that's an easy one. Just you know, call this lawyer and, you know, they'll file the papers and, you know, they know how to do this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the very significant cases where there's problems, right. which, you know, you may or may not know. And it was obviously written about, you know, I had some meetings uh, and I was involved for about four plus months with Kanye West uh, when there was a lot of stuff. And this is going back uh, one year ago. So it was before all sure. of his insanity and the anti-Semitism and the stupidity uh, and, and so now I have to be honest with you because a lot of people say, oh, my God, why would you work with Kanye after working with Donald? It's like the two craziest people on the planet. Kanye never said an anti-Semitic thing to me. In fact, the only thing that he would say to me is that we're both Jewish, which I thought was interesting as I would try to explain to him because we would meet up here in the city. We'd speak on the phone every single day um, hmm. and we would talk about Judaism. We would talk about family. Uh, hmm. But he had a lot of open issues that needed to be dealt with. And I was successful in handling all of those, which is how our relationship then came to an end. Uh, hmm. Up until, of course, the guy went wild. And we see the same thing with like Kyrie Irving. And we see, you know, other issues that are unfortunately um, plaguing I our I think country. they've been psyoped myself. Yeah. That's just the theory that they didn't just wake up being crazy and against their previous uh, values and such. But Michael Cohen, uh, mea culpa, uh, New York Times bestselling author, two times, Disloyal and Now Revenge, that's now out. And I got it on Audible. So you, if you oh, like you can to get listen, it on Audible, you, can... you get on Kindle, you can get it hard right. copy. It's so, it's so important. I really, I, I beseech everybody, you have yep, to read no, it. No, that's so why that I wanted you, know you on. Doing. I want to yeah. help pe people understand the facts and what is actually happening to try to rectify the injustices that were done to you, Michael Cohen. Thank you. And I hope to meet you in person one day. Well, whenever, uh, where are you at, by the way? What's I live in Boston. Oh, okay. 
Oh. But I'm coming to New York, actually, to give a talk on January 8th um, for the Ethical Culture Society oh. host January 6th, one year and later. And where is that going to be? I'll tell at my the Ethical still. Culture Society of Manhattan. I, I was, don't know the When I, I said where is it going to be, I didn't, I know it's what it's called. I was talking about the location. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the, the actual address, but if you just Google ethical culture in new york uh i i'll be there and so will i and opining great i will see Thanks you there so much good buddy. to see you doc okay bye that's it for today's episode of the influence continuum i've been your host dr stephen hassan theme music for the podcast is by nasser malik keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books. Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new 9-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.